friends. Before this episode, I wanted to hop on here and just say that we are talking a lot about war in this episode, uh, bombs in this episode, just because of the nature of Danae Hendrickson's work with Legacies of War. There's also mention of parental death. So if you are someone that's going through the grieving process and it's super, super fresh still, I would say this might be an episode for you to skip um, just because both Danae and I have lost our parents, not both, both of our parents, but we've each lost a parent and it was a while ago for both of us. So it's much easier for us to speak about it than say someone that has had a recent loss. So just keep that in mind. If you're going to hop into this episode and listen to this episode, um, you know, if you need to pause or you need to not listen to it, I totally understand. And I just wanted to put the trigger warning out there for folks. Julia Child once said that people who love to eat are always the best people. I couldn't agree more. I'm Haley Forney, and you're listening to Best People, the podcast. Welcome back to Best People, everyone. Today on the show, I've got Danae Hendrickson. She's joining us from, where are you, Danae? I'm in Bellingham, Washington. You're in Bellingham, Washington, the best place. Um, Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners, who you are, what you do, where you're from, all that fun stuff? Sure. So my name is Danae Hendrickson, and I'm in Bellingham, um, rainy Bellingham. I am originally from North Dakota, and then my husband and I moved out west in 2013, So we've been living out here for like 10 years, which is wild. And I had a long career in coffee. It was my very first job and was working at all different points of the supply chain for the last decade or so. And then um, after COVID, I made a career transition um, into... the nonprofit world. So I'm currently working at Legacies of War um, as the Chief of Mission Advancement and Communications. So mostly heading up our communications and also working with our donors. So So cool. So can you talk a little bit about what what Legacies of War, what they do and kind of how you got involved? Because I think your story is really unique. Sure. So Legacies of War... Uh, turns 20 next year. So they've been around for about 19 years. And it started as a very grassroots, really advocacy organization. Um, the founder, Chenapakambungsa, started Legacies of War in 2004. And it was prompted by these illustrations that she was given by <clears throat> a man named John Cavana. And these illustrations were drawn by refugees and um, people that had lived through the American bombings on Laos from 1964 to 1973. And so she was given these original drawings um, because John was cleaning out his office. And after he met Chanapa at an event, um, he said, you know, Kambungsa, that, that's a Lao last name. And she said, yeah, it's, it is Lao. And he said, you know, I'm really sorry about what happened there. And she was just really taken aback because 
number one, most people don't really know where Laos is, right? So Laos is, for those of you listening that don't know where it is, it's in the middle of Thailand and Vietnam. And so it's a landlocked country. And so she was um, really inspired to look into this part of her own history. She came over to the U.S. as a refugee, as a child. Um, And so she, those illustrations really prompted a lot of her own learning Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been the case for everyone that comes across Legacies of War. And um, so she founded Legacies in 2004 to really bring more awareness to the American Secret War in Laos and um, also advocate for increased funding. So um, Laos is the most bombed country in the world in history. So the U.S. from 1964 to 1973 those are estimated years. I think bombings actually started prior to that, but um, the U.S. and other countries, but mostly the U.S. dropped um, over 2.5 million tons of ordnance. And to help put that into perspective, um, it's about a plane load of bombs every eight minutes, 24 hours a day for nine straight years. Wow. Which is just wild. Um, And most of the bombs dropped were cluster munitions. And so these um, casings are dropped and then as they're dropping, they open up and these little bombies that look like toy balls are released. And um, then, you know, Laos is really fertile land. So when these bombs dropped, they didn't explode on impact because this really fertile soil just kind of like envelops it, swallows it into the land, and then it's there Mm. for just decades. Um, And so that's really one of the largest problems that Laos is dealing with today is these unexploded ordnance, UXO is what we call them. And they are life-threatening. Most times it's a farmer tilling their soil or kids playing, um, that see that come across these bombs Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, are severely injured or, or killed by these munitions. And so a third of the bombs that were dropped didn't explode. And that's about 80 million. Um, Wow. And only 1% of the bombs dropped have been cleared. So there's, you know, all these statistics that really just mean that, most of Laos is still covered in these in bombs. In these bombs, yeah. And it's like I said, it's in the most fertile farming soil, and really, the people of Laos have just been forced to to move on. And so, the, the land, whether it's contaminated or not, is still being farmed. It's still being played on um, because it's just they have to keep living right they have to keep farming and you have to keep um, making a living no matter what even if there are bombs everywhere yeah and so there's um there are ngos around laos that are helping to clear this land um my most recent trip to laos we got to visit the province of sien kwang um, which is the most heavily bombed province per capita Mm -hmm. um and it's the Mines Advisory Group is there clearing the land and they're the largest employer. And so that kind of helps put it into perspective too. Um, the largest employer in that province. And so it's a very slow, very 
intense process to clear the land. Um, and so that's why it's just taking so long. Um, well, you, you're estimate. dealing with live active munitions, right? Exactly. So it's, you have to be super careful. Yeah. And, and two, I think one of the things about the secret war in Laos is that what happened is a lot of times people, soldiers or airplane pilots that were flying over, they didn't know if they were in Vietnam, if they were in Laos, they were in Cambodia. Mm. So they just, they knew they had to drop their bombs before they got back to base exactly. and they just dropped them. Yep. Exactly. Not knowing where they were. Yeah. So Laos was not part of the conflict at all mm-hmm. gets bombarded with bombs. Yeah. And that's, that's why it's called the secret war. That's why it's called the secret war. And I'm learning so much about it every day. I mean, yeah. I. It's humbling, I'm sure. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah. So much history to uncover. And I think what's a piece that I learned most recently is that it really gave birth to the CIA. I mean, mm-hmm. prior to Laos, it really wasn't militarized. And so it gave the CIA, you know, after their, um, their, I guess, work in Laos, um, they've just been replicating that, you know, in other parts of the world since. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so legacy is, has been a key part to bringing attention to this and making sure that it's not forgotten um, because I think the U S would rather just move on. Right. Um, We like to do that. Don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, yeah, we did that, but it's fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Moving on. Exactly. Exactly. So funding when Legacies was founded was about one point, I think, eight million a year. Um, and was and that coming from the U.S. government, or was that from coming from donors? Coming from the U.S. government. Yeah. Okay. And they they estimate that the U.S. in today's dollar spent about sixteen seventeen million a day to bomb Laos. Oh my god. So. Funding for removal, you know, this funding is going towards removing the bombs. It's going towards mine risk education. And then it's also going towards victim assistance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, if you look at the timeline of funding since we've been founded, it's pretty incredible. Um, And it was really just Chanapa asking them, why is this amount so low? And they had said, well, nobody's really ever asked us that. And so it's just, it speaks to the importance of an existence, the existence of an organization like Legacies. Right. Um, You have to have people to advocate for the people that are on the ground and that are impacted by this. And not just them, but their kids and their other family members that if you lose an arm because a bomb goes off and now you can't work, how does that impact your family? Yeah. Right. How did you discover Legacies? Yeah, so my mom is from Laos, and she came over as a refugee when she was about 16. And she passed away in 2013, and she was really my only connection to Laos. I had Mm -hmm. met my family over there, but I don't speak Lao, and so I felt like that was just kind of cut off. When she died, it was like I lost that part of me. And, And I think learning more about Laos really helped me to feel more connected with her. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'd, you know, been looking for Lao organizations to connect with on Instagram and Legacies of War was one of them. And I learned all about this history that was so personal to me that I'd never heard about before and, you know, knew I had to get involved. And so I That's first so became cool. a donor and then um, part-time staff and I'm full-time. So I've been with them about a year and a half. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's been, it's been a minute as yeah. they say. Yeah. How cool. How neat. The, I think my first exposure to Legacies of War was through their bracelet program that okay. they offer. Uh, my friend Melinda from college, her last name is Zenia Son. Um, her dad is Loatian. He's from Laos. Okay. And he's half Vietnamese in Laos. And he was wow. actually a boy during the secret war and he was a boy soldier during it. Oh my goodness. And I, we, she's kind of tried to talk to him about getting involved, but he doesn't even want to talk about it, which is fair. Totally fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that was kind of my first exposure to it because wow. she and I discovered that program. And of course we bought bracelets and yeah. everything, oh but it, goodness. it's wow. a really cool program. Um, it really is. It's so basically jewelers in Laos find like shrapnel from the bombs and they make bracelets out of them. Yeah. And then that goes towards the cause of, you know, eliminating the bobs within Laos. So it's a really cool program. It's so beautiful. And I got to actually visit the village where these are made my last oh, trip. Wow. And it's so incredible to see how the funds that they received from the sales of these bracelets have impacted their own small village. Um, you know, their homes are nicer and there are near new schools and new community buildings and they're receiving, you know, I think it's 10 times the amount of what they would um, just selling locally. So it's a really great program and um, just speaks to the innovation. Yeah. Of- of the of people there. Yeah. They've had to do with this trashed land. So, yeah. <laughs> and it's so tragic because it's such a beautiful country. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, as far as like your journey to kind of read this, like getting back into your roots a little bit, when you were growing up, did your mom make a lot of food from Laos or did she make mostly like American cuisine? Yeah, I think the dishes that I remember that were really Lao were she would make this now I know the word for it is it's thumb um, which is like a a salad that's made in the kokensak the mortar pestle um, and she would make hers with shredded carrots mm. and it was never anything I had interest in trying <laughs> it was like really fishy and um, spicy and I think she just made it you know to enjoy herself and then she would eat it with um, like rice noodles and that was probably the most I think Lao-centric dish that I remember and then anytime we would have like grilled steak or something she would make what I now know is called jiao which is um, basically like it can be made from any kind of vegetable or um, fish, but it's like a sauce that you would dip things in. Okay. And so, so she, she would, would dip her steak by, in like, that. Grilling mushrooms and vegetables, and then pounding in the mortar and pestle. Um, and then she would make pho, 
which mm-hmm. I could never pronounce as a kid. I would always call it fur. <laughs> and so then I think she just got so defeated by our mis- mispronunciation that she would just call it fur as well. And <laughs> I would always have my friends over for fur. And I didn't realize that it was like a thing until I moved out of North Dakota and realized <laughs> that it's like a very popular dish. Um, and it's not called fur. <laughs> Side note. Um, It's funny. Um, But I think something I realized, there's a lot of commonality of Lao American, the second generation experience of like, we all ate a lot of spaghetti. And a lot of people remember putting like soy sauce on their spaghetti or fish sauce, which I loved putting soy sauce on my spaghetti. I've never tried it. I'm going to have to try it now. (laughs) We would make spaghetti. We would eat, make a lot of spaghetti. And like, then, would you make like homemade sauce or would you like get the jarred sauce? It was like a can of tomatoes and then we'd use like the packet seasoning. Okay. Yeah. And we'd, we'd always use like half of it. Okay. And <laughs> to save the rest for later. <laughs> we'd use half the packet. And then um, we would always get like a half of a cow. Um, we split it with another family or something. Uh-huh. So we, we always had a lot of ground beef. And so that's such would, a Midwest thing to do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> ground beef. Uh, and then just soy sauce. And then the next day she would make spaghetti soup. What? With the leftovers. And it what was spaghetti like soup? <laughs> the leftover spaghetti and then a broth with like, you know, beef base or something. And then we called it the greasy stuff. But it was like, it was like that chili, just a chili oil. Oh my gosh. Um, That's so funny. And yeah. Spaghetti soup. Who knew? I didn't know. See, that's just the refugee, like, (laughs) you know, being resourceful. Yeah. Thinking about, I don't want to waste this food. So we're going to find something to do with it. We're not going to have spaghetti again because we had that the day before. (laughs) We're going to have spaghetti soup. Do you make spaghetti soup at home? You know, I don't. I (laughs) Did you like it as a kid or not so much? I think I did. I I like putting cheddar cheese in it. Oh, it's kind of like Cincinnati chili almost is what what it sounds like. That's what someone told me recently. I was telling them that I like to put cheese in my ramen and they're like, oh, that sounds like Cincinnati chili. Yeah, there is actually a place in Cincinnati. I can't remember. I think it's called Mochaccino or Mochachico or something. And they make a Cincinnati chili pho or a Cincinnati chili ramen. And they were just, they just won a James Beard Award for it. So when you guys come to Cincinnati, we'll go there to get it. That's amazing. And you'd be like, my mom was ahead of her time. (laughs) She... Could have won a James Beard Award. You just wow. didn't know about it. Wow. Yeah. That's very validating. What so, so when you're feeling homesick or maybe like you're missing your mom and you want to cook something that reminds you of her, what what dish do you gravitate towards? Um I I make stewed chicken, which mm-hmm. is more of a German recipe, but it's onions, um, cooked down for a really long time and then like the larger chicken drummies 
mm-hmm. or made over it and then that's cooked for a while and then covered in cabbage and then it all kind of soaks up like the the darkened onion and um, we we always ate it with white rice so it was always like a, a fusion of of german, german and... and always rice yeah yeah interesting because your dad's side of the family they were german immigrants yes but yes. german immigrants to north dakota yes yeah so she kind of picked up that recipe yep. and made it her own made it her own. yeah how cool yeah. how neat that's a good memory too like mm-hmm. something to because you really you got more into the cuisine of Laos from after she passed away after you kind of became an adult and now yeah. you're a mom and you kind of are realizing I need parts of my culture to pass on to my kids yes exactly. <laughs> so it's one of those things where food just connects you yes. so much and so well and yeah. I think that's such a cool story too yeah, I mean, I'm learning so much. Like, I think you go through this journey of feeling really insecure at first of not knowing the recipes of, like, your motherland or right. recipes or food knowledge that you should have. And then kind of, like, going too far in, in trying to, like, incorporate it in everything you do, but then realizing that, you know, what you were doing as far as these fusion foods is okay. Like it says sexually, that's your own identity as well. And so, you know, finding the balance in it all is, is uh it's a journey. Definitely. And I, my friend Michael is in the Philippines right now. Um, his mother, she grew up there. Her mother just passed away. So they, he kind of went to be the support person mm. and just help his mom through the the chaos of all the funeral stuff. And wow. he said it, it's been a real culture shock in that he, you know, is imagining what their life would be like if she had never left the Philippines Wow! and how different things would be for him and how stateside he doesn't really feel american Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he in the philippines he doesn't really feel filipino yeah (laughs) so kind of living in those two worlds and and i have a lot of friends that their parents are immigrants that experience that of where you're you're in the two worlds and you feel like do i do i fit in either of them i think for a lot of people it's a gray area right like it is it is and I think that I give my mom a hard time, (laughs) even though she's not around anymore. I still give her a hard time by like being upset with what I wasn't taught about Mm. my Lao culture. But then I, I kind of realized that she was just really trying to give me this gift of feeling confident in one identity and, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever that looked like, which was mostly like, you know, you classic North Dakota, Midwest, American experience. Um, And then it really wasn't until I connected with my (laughs) wow culture that I started to feel this identity crisis, you Mm -hmm. know, like Mm -hmm. learning more about, um, about my Lao culture. And then I started to feel conflicted in it. Um, So again, I think it's about finding the balance of like, who you are and what's important, what pieces are important. Because I think there, there is an importance of like 
incorporating traditions that you may or may not have practiced, but it, in an mm-hmm. act of pers- of preserving mm-hmm. for future generations. You know, I think yeah. that that's, that's something that that's important to, to take on. So finding what that is for you. Right. And, and I think that you're, you're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Every, everyone I talk to that has a similar, not exactly the same because nobody's experience is exactly right. the same, but a lot of it is the parent wanting to assimilate themselves. Yeah. Right. And kind of forcing their children to do the same. So it's unfortunate because like you said, you feel like you lose part of that as a kid and, but I also have friends that have kids that are like in a crisis with their religion because they're yes. teaching them certain religious aspects from one culture yeah. and then also incorporating another piece. And it's like, well, are we Jewish or are we Christian? Or <laughs> And I'm like, you're both. The answer yeah. is you're both. You're all of the things and you can yeah. be all of the things. And I yeah. think that we are constantly trying to put people in little boxes and things are more round than boxed, right? Absolutely. So around allows you to grow. Yes. <laughs> Whereas being in a box, not so much. Is there maybe a scent or a fragrance um, that really is strong for you as a childhood memory that can just teleport you? Or maybe from your travels, like you smell something and you think, oh, that brings me back to this place. Yeah, I think... As far as the smell, it's probably just like cooked white rice, mm-hmm. you know, as simple as that is. Rice is life. <laughs> rice is life. That brings me back, especially jasmine rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from travels, like Laos specific, I, the smell of like a campfire mm-hmm. is really like brings me back. Um, because I've, it's a scent that you smell like walking through the market and it's a scent that you smell, um, in the country, you know, and it's always Mm -hmm. usually around food. So, um, or it's like the first thing they do in the morning and yeah, start the fire, start the the warm beverage, whether it's coffee or tea, do they drink coffee or is it more of a tea, tea center? It's I I would say more coffee, mm-hmm. um, at least from what I've seen. And my family's from the south, and that's where a lot of coffee is actually grown in Laos. Okay, that's what so, I was wondering. But I find that it's like um, in coffee-producing countries, it's always they're drinking like instant coffee. Yeah. You know, even though they're growing some of the best coffee in the world, it, that's really not what they're always drinking. They so have to export it. They got to make money. Well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. So this is a podcast that's inspired by Julia Child. Has Julia Child inspired you in any way, would you say? Oh my goodness. I I don't feel that I know her story as well as maybe I want to yet. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that the ways that Julia has inspired me are through other people. I mean... I've seen, you know, the movie Julie and Julia so many times and yeah. I'm inspired by it's that. Cute. I love it. Um, I don't know if true Julia Child fans like that movie or not, but 
<laughs> I think it's good. Um, but I love like Ina Garten and mm. I feel like she gives a lot of Julia Child um, in the way of really understanding French cooking, but also understanding home cooking mm-hmm. and the comfort in all of it. Yeah. And trying I would to agree with that. make it um, accessible without, yeah. without devaluing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's like a commonality of, of the two. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good answer. If you were to create an ideal dinner party, what foods would you serve and who, and you get a starter, a main course and a dessert and a drink of choice. And it can be things that you've made or maybe like a grandparent has made or a parent or a favorite restaurant. It doesn't have to be all coming from your kitchen, but it can if you if you are feeling ambitious. Okay, okay. I think that my best memories associated with food are always with like grilled meats mm-hmm. and like uh, backyard barbecue, um, eating outside. In the, in the good weather and so I think it would be like a grilled chicken um and I also think that like grilled chicken and fried chicken like I would want mm, both mm-hmm. so good and um we always growing up ate fried chicken with this pasta salad that was like a zesty italian type face like one of the suddenly salads something you remember those yes yes which i actually like they're Um, so good yeah it's something like that with spaghetti noodles of course of course and then um white rice naturally so like the the three so it would be like a grilled and fried chicken and then like a cold pasta salad and then rice um and it almost it's... sounds Hawaiian. Yeah, it totally you know? does. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. Um, as far as dessert goes. Oh, man. Probably like a. Like a crumble like a fruit crumble or like mm. a, a cake of mm-hmm. like a strawberry cake something like that Ooh, with that fresh sounds whipped cream good. yeah and and what are you uh, gonna drink for drink um oh man i don't know i think anything any kind of cocktail on ice like a I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure on that one. Fair enough. You can think about it. Okay. Who's going to come to this fantastic party? I think just my family. Okay. Um, yeah, just my family and friends. I was thinking about this question and if I had anyone like that I don't normally interact with that I would want to come, but I don't think so. I think 
Um, no celebrities at no this celebrities dinner party. No celebrities are allowed. None. This mm-hmm. is exclusive in that if you're famous, you're out. Yep. <laughs> Those are the rules. What are you guys working on at the moment over at Legacies of War? And what's a good way for people to really interact with um, what you're doing and, and your projects? And I know you all just went to Washington, D.C. to celebrate uh, New Year, which is yeah. really cool. Yeah. yeah. That was so fun. It was my first long New Year that to celebrate. So mm-hmm. I had such a good time. Um, we met with, I got to meet with my representative and cool. just learned that he's joining the UXOD Mining Caucus this morning. Oh, that's so very exciting. I'm so excited about this. Um, so we got to meet with also Senator Murray's office mm-hmm. and then other representatives of um, board members that I was with. It was very cool. This, you know, a good DC experience to go and meet with your members um, of Congress. And I felt, um, you know, like I was actually accomplishing something in the form of mm-hmm. advocacy you know, versus behind the computer. It was really nice to be able to see the faces and go to DC and be on the Hill. Um, and then we got to celebrate Lao New Year at the embassy, the Lao embassy. Oh, so wow. Really great. Yeah, That's really, really, really cool. Fun. How was the food? It was so good. They had made a whole pig. Oh, wow. Um, and it was just so beautiful. And then there was a lot of dishes that I didn't, hadn't had before. Oh, that's um, exciting. So it was fun to try everything. And it, the spice level was pretty high. I mean, <laughs> I was surprised because I always think that things like that are going to be toned down because you never know someone's <clears throat> spice level. Right. But I think that they assumed everyone there would probably want spicy. <laughs> Did they assume correctly? Or yeah, were people like so. turning bright red and drinking a lot of milk? I, I think this there was no milk there. <laughs> Don't want to embarrass yourself. It wasn't an option. I did have that thought though. Like I wonder if there's milk because I've just <laughs> taken a bite of a pepper and it was paralyzing me for a moment. But yeah, it was good. Um, lots of beer lao and uh, yeah, yeah, lots of really good food. Um, 2023 marks the 50th year since the last American bombs were dropped. Mm-hmm. And so really all of our events and education are focused around that and commemorating this special year of what it means to have 50 years go by, you know, since the last bombs were dropped. And um, we're really honored to have some amazing people on our board and even past board members that have gone through so much data and information and compiled all of this really, yeah, like data on when the last bombing was and where it was, because you have to go through all of these declassified documents and, you know, it's not an easy task. And no. so I'm really, really grateful for their work in helping us to compile the information to be able to share the accurate stories and history um, and it's a, it's a heavy burden to bear because we really are the source for folks to learn about this history, you know, through our library and on our website. And so, um, 
we're focused on on that, you know, making sure that we share this special history. Like our chief of staff just wrote an article that was published in um, Responsible Statecraft, and it was about the bombing on Pimai on Lao New Year in 1973. And that's something that we hadn't talked about before because it's like a new piece of information that we found. And so, again, so people didn't it, remember it or know it right. until this came up. Right. And 50 years later, we're still learning about these, you know, bombings because it was kept secret for so long. Right. And um, why was it kept secret? Do you, do we know? I mean, was it money? <laughs> there were, there was the Geneva Peace Accords. Uh, we were in violation of by being involved mm. in Laos. And, you know, the U.S. wasn't the only one violating, but um, that's a big reason why it was kept secret. And it was really led by the CIA. And so a lot Right, because Congress didn't even know that this exactly, was going on. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, it was kept secret. Um, and I think it was 1970 um, when, when the word came out. But yeah, so that's why it's important to share these oral histories, right? Mm -hmm. Of people that lived through it and um, to highlight books that publish pieces that people have written and spent their lives researching on um, because it is a piece of shared history, you know, as an American, it mm -hmm. is something that we all really need to learn about because as we know, history continues to repeat itself and, you know, what's happening in Ukraine and they're requesting that, you know, we send cluster bombs mm -hmm. and it's, it reminds us of how far we have to go with with knowing the depth of this history and the impact of this history that 50 years later, there's still a war being waged in Laos. That's, that's ended, you know, but right. not really because people are still being killed by bombs. And right. And that was never started. Quote it, unquote, that was never in the first started. place. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, true. We have to learn from our histories and pay attention yes. to them because impact is important. And yeah. I'm so grateful for the work that you're doing. I think it's wonderful. And if you, if people want to learn more about legacies of war, Instagram's a great place. You guys share a lot on there. There's also your website, legaciesofwar.org um, for anyone that wants to get involved. If they want to become a donor, we love that. <laughs> if you want to just make a one-time donation, you're welcome to do that. You can also you know, make a monthly donation that goes towards deactivating bombs on the ground in Laos. So, so cool. Thank you so much, Janae, for being here. I'm so grateful Thanks to you. Thanks for having me, Haley. I really appreciate it. It was so, great to see you. Yes. Yeah, so nice to catch up. Yeah. So fun. Thank you so much to Danae Hendrickson for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you coming on Best People. I think it was a great conversation. Um, it was so good to catch up with her and hear all about what's going on. Uh, fortunately for our listeners, Danae kind of turned the tables on me um, and started asking me questions 
about what my answers would be um, of the standard questions that I ask. So stay tuned for a bonus episode that I'll be releasing within the coming weeks. Hope you all are doing well and enjoying the sunshine and having a great spring. Until next time, bon appetit!